0: So this afternoon for our sermon, we're looking at Luke chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Luke chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, which are the first of the three temptations that we read about in the Gospel of Luke. Before we read, we'll pray, so I'd ask you to join me in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we do give you thanks for your word, the Holy Scriptures. We pray, Father, that you would prepare our hearts to receive your word for that which it truly is the very words of God. Father, may we be made more like the Lord Jesus. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to read from Luke chapter 4 at verse 1 through to Luke chapter 4 verse 4. So reading from 4 1 to 4 4, and we're looking at the first temptation which comes to us in verses 3 and 4. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, let's try and get ourselves into what I think is the right frame of mind to consider this. First of all, the first three chapters of Luke's gospel have more or less, I guess, convicted or confirmed to us that the Lord Jesus, even though he is the son of God, was truly human. Luke wanted us to understand that this is the one who was born of a woman. This is the one who is a man. Adam, um, Luke, at the end of chapter 3, verse 38 of chapter 3, speaks of the first man, the son of Adam, as being the son of God. And so he wants us, as we've said before, to, to have in mind the promises that were given in Genesis chapter 3, that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. He's drawn or helped draw for us a parallel between Adam himself and Jesus Jesus is the incarnate son of God we know from John chapter 1 in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and we know that the word took upon himself flesh yet he is truly human i've stressed it a few times if you're wondering why let me make this point if we don't hold these distinctions if we don't think carefully about these things, I ask you a question. How can God be tempted? Okay, If you want to say to me, Jesus is divine, Jesus is God, the son of God, I say, you are absolutely right. I, I have no doubt about it. But if we don't see the distinction of humanity and divinity, how could we possibly hope to explain that God was tempted? Jesus is a man. I mean, just think of it this way. If, if Jesus in his humanity had omniscience, that all-knowing knowledge of God, well then, he would know, he would know that Satan is going to fail. He would know that this is, um, this is kind of a pointless exercise in hardship and he would not be tempted. We're told in the book of Hebrews that we have a great high priest who has been tempted or tested in every way, like as we have, but without sin. Jesus is here actually, truly being tested, truly being tempted. It's from this moment on, in all of, in, in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, It's after the temptation and the return from the wilderness. It's from this moment on that Jesus ministers with power and authority such that even the very devils themselves, the very demons themselves, acknowledge who he is and obey his direct commands. This is is a real, genuine crisis. Something is truly happening here. Jesus in his humanity is being truly tested So, okay, let's now try and ask the question, what could this mean? You know, command this stone to become bread. You're hungry. You needn't be hungry. You haven't eaten for 40 days. You can do with this power that God has granted you whatsoever. You please make yourself a loaf of bread and have a feed. Okay. We need to understand what's going on here. And why is this a significant temptation? And why is this so meaningful that it's recorded to us, for us, by Matthew and Luke? Well, I think the answer, first of all, comes from a few things that we read in our Old Testaments. In Exodus chapter 4, verse 22, Moses is told to say to Pharaoh, then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. Israel is my firstborn son. Well, is there some kind of parallel or typical connection, a type connection, between Israel and Jesus? And the answer is Scripture surely tells us yes, there is. In the Gospel of Matthew, for example, we have the, um, it's recorded for us that. Joseph was warned in a dream to take Jesus away from the persecutions of Herod to go down into Egypt and then after a while he was told he could come back from Egypt into the promised land again and the scripture quoted was from the book of Hosea, out of Egypt I called my son. In the book of Hosea, that scripture is applied to Israel where where we find it in the book of Hosea, it's being applied directly to Israel. It's speaking of the Exodus and of God drawing his people out of slavery in Egypt. But now in the book of Matthew, it's applied to Jesus. So this typical or of a type kind of comparison between Israel and Jesus holds for us some kind of meaning as we seek to understand what's happening here. The next thing, before we sort of get back into some of those texts, the next thing that I want to point out to us is that Jesus taking upon himself humanity is called by theologians his humiliation. His humiliation. His becoming truly a man is called a humiliation. I I don't know if you've read Narnia, but um, in in those Narnia stories where um, One of the human beings in the story is called the son of Adam. The lion says that is both a high enough name and a low enough name for any of you. It's 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 an honor and it's also a curse. It's it's good that you're a human being who's been made in the image of God. It's bad that you're the son of a sinner. Jesus took upon himself humanity. It's called his humiliation. You know, God, the eternally begotten Son of God, in his pre-incarnation. Now, you know, we're, we're sort of, we're getting into this sort of, in a way, it's this complicated theological area or zone. God himself is not limited nor bounded by time. He's the timeless one. God's memory, God's knowledge, is absolutely and utterly perfect, of all things, at all times, in all places. In in the mind of God, all reality is now. The pre-incarnate Jesus, God, the eternally begotten Son of God, was truly, utterly, of himself, in every way, God, He shared in that divine omniscience, in his his pre-incarnate, pure spiritual life as the son of God. He shared in that omniscience. He shared in the knowledge of God. He was not in any way limited. He was of the same essence as the father is the way it comes out in the Nicene Creed. The same stuff, the same being, one in being with God. We believe in One God subsisting as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But he took upon himself flesh and he took upon himself true humanity. True humanity. He was called the beloved son of God when he was baptised. John, I mean, Luke chapter three, verse 22, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. He's the son of God. Now, you know, we've looked at um, the creed of Chalcedon before in in studying the gospel of Luke, and we're not going to turn to that today, but. It is one of those things. It is um, one of those things which, though we understand and accept that which the Scripture teaches, we can never, we can never claim to um, get to the depths of it. It's it's beyond us as human beings. It's beyond us. You know, if it's it's a it is in a way a mystery. How can Jesus be truly human, truly divine? One person. That's what we're taught. He is. And he's not some kind of strange hybrid. This temptation is one who is truly human being tempted. He's without sin. He's not the son of Joseph. He's the son of God, conceived by the power of God's Holy Spirit, overshadowing the Virgin Mary. Even so, he's truly human. and This is a human being undergoing temptation. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's walking in the Spirit. It's the Spirit who led him into the wilderness. Mark says drove him into the wilderness. It's the Spirit whom we can assume has had him fasting for 40 days. I mean, this is not just a small-time temptation. This is, this is a difficult test. 40 days. And when those days were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. So with all that in the background, what am I trying to say is, or what am I trying to teach you is the essence of the temptation. I think the essence of the temptation is if you are the son of God, why are you bothering with this humanity? why are you bothering with this humiliation of an incarnation? If you are a son of God, why are you hungering like any man might hunger? If you are the son of God, why are you sitting here waiting for God to supply your next meal? If you are the son of God, why, you know, I mean, I don't honestly... Fast, very often, and that's probably not going to surprise any of you. But there, there are times when, you know, for example, work gets so busy that, that I might work an extended period, 12 to 13 hours working very hard, very physically, and I forget to eat. I'm so busy, I forget to stop, I forget to eat. When the work finishes or the job finishes, i am actually got the trembles. Like an older man. Older than I am at any rate. I've actu- I actually start to tremble. I've I have basically driven myself in a way that was not wise. That's what my body's telling me. My body's telling me, you know, you've you've been pushing yourself hard all day and you took nothing in. And if you don't do it fast, you might just fall flat on your face. Um, he fasted for 40 days. In the spirit, in the Holy Spirit, he he hungered for 40 days. That hunger increasing. He was in the weakest state physically that you could imagine a man to be living in. Well, we read from Deuteronomy earlier, but we're going to read there again. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Now, remember, as I said, in Exodus chapter 4, verse 22, Moses was told to say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. Now, we start at verse 1 of Deuteronomy chapter 8. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Moses is interpreting for us there the Exodus. Why did God lead us around about in circles out in the wilderness? If, if God had led us straight to the promised land, they would have gotten there within a couple of weeks. But they're 40 years in the wilderness, in the desert. If, if you, if you, um, if you can get a map and the map shows you the, the way that they traveled, it's, in some ways, it's a, it's a very large couple of circles that they've taken. It's a kind of a very roundabout journey following that cloud. And how does Moses interpret it? He says, and he humbled you and let you hunger, Deuteronomy 8, verse 3, and fed you with manna. He humbled you. He tested you, at verse 2, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart. Remember, the people of Israel complained and complained about the food. They complained about the manna. Wouldn't it be better to be back in Egypt? At least there the food had flavour. There were leeks and there were onions and there were fish in the river. This stuff is plain. You know, it's, it's food, but it's not exciting. They complained. They failed. They were tested and they failed. Well, Jesus, now we're turning to Philippians chapter 2, which we also read earlier. Philippians chapter 2 from verse 5. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not account did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus humbled himself. Okay, so... The eternally begotten son of God, who was called the son in Psalm 2. You are my son. This day I have begotten you. He wasn't called Jesus. Who, when he appeared in the Old Testament, appeared as Yahweh, the angel of the Lord. Yahweh, the son. Yahweh, God. Yahweh, the son. When David spoke of him, he said, Yahweh said to my Lord. Yahweh, the son, humbled himself, took upon himself the likeness or the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being born in the same way as men, becoming a man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. I mean, as if that were enough, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. How many years were the Israelites in the desert? 40 years. The generation that had to die in the desert? 40 years. How many days was Jesus fasting according to the leading of the Holy Spirit? 40 days. If you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. So... The devil is subtle, he's clever, he's a flatterer. He knows that it has just been confirmed to Jesus at his baptism that he is God's beloved son. And he also knows, therefore, that the eternally begotten son of God himself is now here before him, a human being, a man, And the temptation, therefore, is cast off the humanity. Your mission was to identify as God's son. Your mission was to identify Mm -hmm. with humanity. Look at them. Now, you know, if if you want to say you're paraphrasing and you're adding to this, in a way, you're, you're correct. But just remember, we're told that he was being tempted for 40 days. You know, we, we read this passage, you, you can read the passage of the actual temptations, you can read it in less than 40 seconds. He was being tempted for 40 days. Humanity being what it is. The life before you being what it is. I mean, we see later that um, the devil himself knows some scripture. What if the devil also understood? Isaiah 53, you know, you're going to be beaten, you're going to die, you're going to have your hands and your feet pierced. Considering what this life as a man is going to lead to, considering the humanity that you've come to save and what they're like, and Jesus has already been in the world long enough to know what humanity is like. Considering all these things. Is it really worth going hungry for them? We, um, we, we do things for people. People ask for a favour. We usually do it for them. We help people out. But this, this little bit of the old-fashioned word is charity that we show. You know, this little bit of charity. I'm not saying that this little bit of charity that we show and these, these things that we do one for another and for people who are not Christians. We do these things, these, we, we do these good and charitable deeds. This is the eternally begotten Son of God having taken, taken upon himself flesh. He thought that to be equal with God was not something that he need grasp or hold on to. He was willing to, as it were, let go of it. He was willing to empty himself, take the form of a servant, be born in the likeness of men and humble himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What, what is our charity compared to his grace? I guess is the way I'd put it. What is our charity compared to his grace? If you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. Stop waiting for your father to supply food. Stop waiting for the spirit to say to you, and now you can eat. Here's a stone. Power of God is at your command. Get yourself a loaf of bread. Deny your humanity. I mean, what's it all about? What, you know, we, we, we talk about salvation. We talk about that which we deserved. It fell upon him. The one who doesn't deserve it. Our just deserts, they rain down upon Jesus. That's the way we are saved. In order that his just deserts, what are his just deserts? Well, he's righteous. He's blessed. He's beloved of God. He's never done anything that displeases the father. In either his pre-incarnate life as the eternally begotten son of God or in his incarnate life. As the son of God born of the Virgin Mary, he has done nothing that displeased the father. Everything that he did has pleased the father. And we get treated as though we lived his life. And so this testing, this tempting, by which he takes command over the prince of this world, the prince of the power of the air, is all being done on our behalf and because we couldn't do it ourselves and so the leading of the spirit full of the spirit led in the spirit to the wilderness told him do not eat until food is supplied that's the that's how do i know that this is what he was told well if he wasn't told that there's no reason why he shouldn't make the stone into bread the leading and the prompting of the spirit told him do not eat until food is supplied And so he fasted. He did not eat. If you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. Don't rely on the providence of God. Why should you, like any normal man, rely upon what God supplies from one day to the next? You, after all, are God, the eternally begotten son of God. Do you really need to accept this humiliation? Do you really need to accept this burden of humanity? Are these people worth dying for him? Dying for, I'm sorry. If you are the son of God. Satan takes the word of God. Now, this word was recorded for us in the gospel of Luke. As I said, at chapter three and verse 22, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. And he misuses it. He twists it. He turns it into something that it ought not to be used for. That's the way all of these temptations go. Something which is not necessarily bad, it is actually good, is turned bad. Satan is not a creator. He's a twister. Remember that. He cannot make something out of nothing. He twists something that is already there into something that is evil. If you are the son of God, Since you are the son of God could be a possible translation. Considering your baptism where it was told that you are the son of God. Command this stone to become bread. Reject the humanity that has been assigned to you. Reject the suffering that has been assigned to you. Remember, this is the one in whom and through whom we are saved. Verse four, and Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Now, Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse three actually goes a little longer than that. That he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Just because we've got a, uh, as it were, just a very short reference pointing us to a particular point in the scripture, don't assume that that doesn't mean we're not supposed to look at the whole passage and understand the whole passage. Notice that Jesus here actually accepts the role of being Israel, God's firstborn son. He's identifying with Israel. They were sent into the wilderness, into the desert. They were led into the wilderness, into the desert to be humbled and to be tested. God tested them. Now, you know, we pray when we pray the prayer that the Lord has taught us. What do we pray? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Why? How is it that we can reasonably pray that prayer? Well, first of all, we're not the Lord. See, our Saviour has gone through all of these things. He has suffered these things. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We are tested, but... Once again, James makes it plain. James chapter 1, verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. We're not being tempted by God, though God is permitting us to be tested. But we are in the hands of God. But this ultimate temptation, which none of us, could possibly have survived not one of us you know this whole like, the, the, there is a there is a picture in scripture of god searching for a man and he could not find the man it's it's only given as a metaphor you know it's not as though god was just hoping that the right person would come along but god's revealing himself and his works through time and revealing his word etc cetera, etc cetera, And one of the ways that scripture allows us to look at things is the idea of God searching for a man and yet all fall short of the glory of God until we get to Jesus. Jesus, in his reply to the evil one, quotes scripture. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. He he accepts his role of being the true Israel, the firstborn son of God. And he accepts that his life comes from every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. The temptation, rebel against your humanity, rebel against the humiliation of your ministry. The answer, I live in submission to the word of God. I accept the commandments of God. I accept the commandments of my father. He has every right to do with me as he will. And if he says at this moment, I am to hunger, I hunger because I live by every word that comes from the mouth of my father. And so I want you to think now about how successfully defending himself in this particular instance of temptation sets up the things that he can teach to his people. Let's turn, for example, to the Gospel of Matthew. Chapter 6. Consider... First of all, the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day, at verse 11, our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. What's the, what's the submission or the thought of submission of a person who prays this prayer? I will eat that which God supplies and I will trust in God's supply. Give us this day our daily bread. All of our food comes from God. If we ask for it when we pray, that's why we give thanks for it when we eat. We asked. The whole subject of fasting, it's kind of in a way mysterious. It's presented here as a given fact. Believers will fast and pray. It appears to me from the scriptures that fasting is a way of amplifying our prayer. It's it's a prayer of desperation when we fast and we pray. And yet Jesus says no one else need know about it. If you're fasting and praying, you need tell no one. You need make no show of it. It was Jesus who set the example of how to fast and how to pray. Or move on to Matthew chapter 6, verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. In the background of this teaching is a man who in his humanity fasted for 40 days and was tempted to turn a stone into a loaf of bread in order to break that fast and break away from his humanity and break away from his human submission to the word of God. Is human submission to the word of God. You know, there's, there's nothing worse, I find, in terms of my life, in terms of work, than getting bossed around by a complete hypocrite. You don't want your boss to be a useless, lazy man who can't accomplish the work that he's giving you to do. You know, that that's, that's a horrible position to be in. You want your boss to be someone who's been there, done that. Jesus has been there in a way and done that to an extent that we never could. His commandment is therefore reasonable. We're always to remember that our efforts cannot make us righteous and our efforts cannot make us Christ-like and our efforts can never bring God into our debt. But nevertheless, the scripture tells us to be like Jesus. As much as we are able to be like Jesus. And Jesus is not speaking to us from ignorance. He's not speaking to us as one who has never, ever suffered anything. He's speaking to us as one who took upon himself humanity. Though he be God, the eternally begotten son of God. He he let go. He let go of, of being God in person become God incarnate now that's a terrible way of saying that and I should have been more careful but what I'm wanting you to get is in his divinity he remains the son of God unchanging God does not change in his divinity he is eternally the son of God the eternally begotten son of God but here in the wilderness he's in his humanity I'm not saying he ceased to be the eternally begotten son of God But if you were able to see this man after 40 days of hunger, you would not be seeing a man who looks like a bodybuilding superhero. You would be seeing a man who is weak and trembling because he has not eaten. He would appear to us to be a man. We're told in Isaiah 53, there was nothing in him. He didn't look like someone that you should love, even though he is someone that we should love. And then in John chapter 6, at verse 35, Jesus speaks of being the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He's the bread of life. He's every word that comes to us from the mouth of God by which we live. But man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Man does not live by bread alone. We're assured by the Scriptures that we will never be tested beyond that which we are able to bear and that there will always be, for us, a way of escape. But the rich man has a way of escape for us. He was tested even unto the point of death. He was tested here by fasting, by starvation, and yet he was victorious. He he clung to the word of God. He applied the word of God correctly. Man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And my friends, Jesus, he's the word, the word who took upon himself flesh. He said to us, I am the bread of life. He's the word that came to us from God. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He's not saying that the the Christian would never fast and pray. That's not what he's saying. He's talking about eternal life, life in God, spiritual life, true life, life indeed. And in the background of that promise to us is this man fighting against the evil one. And it was a fight. You know, as I said, you can read this in 40 seconds, fly through it, not realise what's going on, not understand the struggle. This is a fight. This is, this, is, this is where Jesus took upon himself the power to rule over the evil one. When he was asked how it is that he cast demons out, he said, well, I bound the strong man. he says, I cast them out by the finger of God or or he says, I cast them out by the power of the Holy Spirit. Both, both, um, Both phrases are obviously meaning the same thing. But he says, I bound the strong man. If you want to plunder a strong man's house, you get hold of the strong man, you bind the strong man and then you take from his stuff. That was what he said. He said, I bound the strong man. Well, my friends, here... Because Jesus did not reject his humanity, because Jesus did not cast off the humiliation of his ministry, because Jesus clung to the word of God by which a man lives. If you want to think of it this way, he put a couple of loops of the rope around the strong man. Here's where, here's where the strong man's getting bound, here's where Jesus is taking command and authority is where he's um, preparing for this ministry that sets... Basically, it ends up with him ruling at the right hand of God the Father, but it sets, um, it sets the gospel up upon the earth to be preached to every man, calling people to faith and salvation. He was tempted and he resisted and he clung to the word of God and he used the word of God correctly and accurately And he started, as it were, to bind the strong man. He started to exercise the victory of God's salvation over the evil one who had bound the nations in darkness. Let's close in prayer. Our Father in heaven, I do thank you for your grace and your mercy. And I thank you, Father, that we can turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's our champion. He did these things on our behalf. He suffered these trials for us. He was tested. He was that we may live in the fear of God, rejoicing in your goodness and your grace and your mercy. Thank you, Father, that you so love the world, that you gave your only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish. And thank you, Father, that that blessing has come even here. May your praises be ever upon our lips, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.